This is The Talent Show, a podcast by Talent Canada, the national magazine for workplace leaders published by Annex Business Media. You've tuned in to hear conversations with Canadian experts on the latest in workplace leadership and human resource practices. Thank you for tuning in. Hello and welcome to Talent Canada's national podcast for senior workplace leaders and human resources professionals. Talent Canada is a publication dedicated to driving business through investment in people. I'm your host, Marcel Vanderweer. I'm joined today from Newfoundland by Dr. Ken Jenkins, National Medical Director of Horizon OHS, a TELUS health company. Thanks for joining me, Ken. Well, thanks, Marcel. I'm glad to be here with you today. Dr. Jenkins was a panelist with our Back to Work Virtual Summit held on May 27. The event was hosted in partnership with OHS Canada and attended by nearly 500 workplace leaders. Content from the free summit can be accessed online at talentcanada.ca slash back to work. The virtual event included a question and answer period, and there were many questions, some of which went unanswered due to time constraints. Because returning to work following COVID-19 closures is such a crucial topic at this time, we've invited Dr. Jenkins back to the table to respond to some of the lingering questions from our audience. Ken, I look forward to hearing your responses, so let's get started. Right on. The, the first question centers on the new concept of screening employees' temperatures before they enter the workplace. Is this a task that would need to be completed daily? Well, Marcel, that is a, a very common and a very appropriate question. And certainly we do recommend in situations where a decision is made to implement temperature screening in the workplace, that it be completed daily on the way into work. That that is relevant and important. Um, Now, there are some caveats to do this, and in particular for workforces that are located in remote industrial sites and for workers who live in a camp setting or who work in close proximity to each other for extended periods, performing temperature screening prior to their going to their home community is also appropriate. And really, there's, it's very important that the temperature screening protocol be, be in place so that uh, there's clear uh, responsibility for how the test is done, how it's documented, and uh, how it uh, gets reported. The importance of this is relevant to whether somebody gets access to the site or not. And uh, the, sh- the protocol will really describe um, the parameters around which a decision is made to either allow somebody to proceed onto site or to be advised that they should uh, go home and take precautions to uh, to get the disease under control. Okay. The second question revolves around exhibiting signs of illness at work. And Ken, yeah. I'm, I'm curious what you would suggest for a worker who struggles with allergies. Is uh, Would they need to reassure their colleagues they are not ill? Yeah, that's a great question at this time of the year, Marcel, because, you know, allergy sufferers uh, tend to bear the brunt of their condition around this time of the year. And basically what it comes down to is is the similarity of the current year symptoms to the prior year symptoms. So, for example, if there's no change in the, in the symptoms at all, then it's quite reasonable to conclude that the, the, what the person is, is experiencing is due to allergies and not the SARS-CoV-2 virus. 
And what's really important to remember in this consideration, Marcel, is that the Public Health Agency of Canada case definition for suspect COVID-19 cases calls for two or more of the following symptoms. So they include fever or signs of fever, such as, uh, you know, chills, body aches, lightheadedness, a cough. And so that would be a new cough or a worsening of a chronic cough, a sore throat, a runny nose, which is one of the typical allergy symptoms that people might have, and a headache. But besides this, it's a requirement that people have to meet certain exposure criteria. So, you know, they've, for example, they've been in contact with somebody who's had known COVID disease, they've tested positive, or they've had close contact with a probable case of COVID-19. So it's very unlikely that allergy sufferers are going to meet all of these symptom requirements to be diagnosed as having a probable or suspect case of COVID-19. So, you know, it, it's all about education and for people to understand what the diagnosis means, what the symptom complex is, and that in and of itself should help provide reassurance to people about you know, whether or not somebody's suffering from allergies or if they potentially have the virus infection. The other thing that could be done, uh, Marcel, is that the worker who is affected by allergies could get a clearance note, potentially, from their family doctor or from an occupational health services company like Horizon or, or Medicis. You know, these companies can also access uh, the Telus Health Akira app for telehealth supports for their workforce. So there are a variety of ways uh, that uh, through either education or uh, healthcare professional support that allergy sufferers can help educate themselves and help educate their colleagues about their symptoms and the uh, the lack of concern when uh, when the symptoms uh, do not meet the COVID-19 definition. Excellent response, Ken. Thank you. The next question deals with personal protective equipment, specifically in an office environment. Is an employer required to supply masks for staff in this case, or do employees need to find their own? Well, there uh, there's a couple of considerations here, Marcel. First of all, if, if an employer wants to make sure that masks are used or they're encouraging their workforce to wear masks, then really it's it's an imperative for the employer to supply those masks. And what's really important, Marcel, is that if there is a requirement, uh, then there should be some policy, the use of non-medical face masks and training for employees on how to properly use it, as well as the limitations. Because let's face it, if people aren't using these devices properly, then the, the potential risk of infection goes up. And there's a, a phrase which we're, we're using now in the, in the public communication sense, and it, most people probably have heard it, is it is my mask protects you, your mask protects me. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's an important understanding about the reason why we use these in the first place. And this all relates back to, in particular, the potential for this illness to be spread in an asymptomatic fashion. So we know that there's a, you know, a significant number of cases where people are not exhibiting any symptoms but may be contagious and may have the potential to pass it on to others. And so that's why the, the public use and, and in particular in work settings where proximity and distance cannot be assured at all times between people as they work, you know, the use of a cloth face mask is, is important and appropriate. 
Now, if employees prefer Marcel, they can provide their own masks as long as it meets the required purpose. And people can certainly find some specific details on the Public Health Agency of Canada website. Talks about you know how uh, how a mask should be made and uh, what the appropriate wearing of it would be as well. So I would refer people along to that resource uh, additionally. But you know it it may be a comfort issue uh, in some cases uh, why people might want to wear their own mask. An employer may provide one that doesn't maybe fit as well or is as comfortable. And the other thing that is of an important consideration here, Marcel, is the fact that some people may not be able to wear masks. That needs to be treated accordingly. Yeah, and that question uh, will come right now. I, I want to stay on the topic of masks. Sure. One of our audience uh, members had the question about if masks are indeed made mandatory in the workplace, can can specific employees be excused from having to wear them in certain circumstances? Yeah, there are some circumstances where a person may not be able to comfortably wear a mask. And for example, with moderate to severe asthma, other respiratory diseases, um, those sorts of things can be very uncomfortable and and, uh, counterproductive to the the person wearing the mask. So in a case like that, I mean, the the person who's unable to wear wear a face mask has to really do their part to you know, potentially prevent the spread to others. So, you know, it's imperative that those folks would practice good social distancing behaviors. So giving, you know, six feet between them and other people. If they do have a cough or a sneeze, that they use good etiquette, you know, by coughing or sneezing into the elbow or the arm so that the droplet spread is reduced and and that they stay home if they're, they're ill. Uh, because this is all about prevention, and uh, and it's understanding that the way the disease is spread, which is primarily via droplet spread, and uh, anything we can do uh, to to prevent uh, ill people from further spreading the disease to others is is going to be uh, very helpful to us sustaining our ability to return to work and being safe at the same time. This next question moves out of the office setting. Someone had asked, what would you suggest when it comes to making a physical sales call in situations where a product sale actually requires a face-to-face meeting with a customer? Well, this is a really an important question because of, you know, the, uh, the, the common occurrence of this type of scenario. So one of the things I would say, Marcel, to this is that I'm going to make an assumption up front, and I'm going to assume that in this scenario that the salesperson has already confirmed with the client that they want to proceed with a face-to-face meeting because, you know, don't necessarily assume that uh, the client wants to do that. The client may have some fears around being close proximity to somebody they may or may not know well, but if they do want to proceed, uh, there's a couple of factors to consider. So first of all, what proximity do you you need to your client, really? Do Do you need to have close contact? And because close contact is an important part of the, the risk profile for acquiring this illness. And our definition for that from a health perspective is less than six feet apart for 15 minutes or more creates a close contact scenario. So ask yourself some questions. Can you make your pitch, your sales pitch from more than six feet away? And if not, do you need more than 15 minutes? And if you do, you should ask that question in advance to your client. Ask them, are you comfortable wearing a face mask during our meeting? I'll be wearing one. And, uh, you know, that phrase that we just talked about, my mask protects you, your mask protects me. Use that as a 
teachable moment in case your client is, is kind of not aware of that. And not everybody's paying attention to the public health messages. So you need to arm yourself and your client with those facts and uh, those uh, practices before you go into the, uh, into the setting. And keep the meeting as short as you reasonably can. You know, if you're handling a physical product, if you're doing a demo, sharing the device or the product with your client, have some hand sanitizer and, and wipes available. You know, think about offering your client a complimentary bottle of hand sanitizers just in case they didn't bring one themselves. Um, so, you know, it's again, I'll just reemphasize it's the close contact, it's the proximity, the contact time, the six feet, the 15 minutes. And if you can make your make your sales pitch within those parameters, uh, there shouldn't be a high risk for yourself or your client. Excellent advice. Uh, we have one final question, uh, sure. and this this actually touches on the concept of ATP testing. Can you touch on, on this concept, and can this methodology help provide some idea of how well workplaces are being cleaned, or the probability of a workplace that is still harboring the virus? Yeah, absolutely. A ATP testing is uh, is a is a monitoring methodology used for checking for residual from after the cleaning is is completed. And uh, it is effective in a, a lot of different applications. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be able to pick up the coronavirus by itself. And I, I reference in particular some statements out of 3M, is very active in this field. And they state that there are no monitoring solutions applicable to environmental hygiene that can specifically detect the presence of COVID-19. And really what we have to fall back to in this circumstance is that really the goal for any environmental monitoring uh, situation is really not to detect the presence of COVID-19, but to detect what we call the clinical soil. For example, you know, aerosolized droplets, fecal material. So, you know, those types of indicators can be picked up, but not the virus itself. So that is something that I'm sure technology will uh, look at and address as time goes on, but uh, it doesn't appear that ATP testing can directly help in this situation, but can certainly indirectly help in terms of looking at surfaces and determining if the clinical soil level is, uh, is low or not. Thank you, Ken, for sharing your expertise and time on this matter. I sincerely hope that your advice can assist those developing policy so Canadians can return to work safely. As a reminder to our listeners, if you would like more of the latest information on returning to work, please visit talentcanada.ca slash back to work. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to The Talent Show, the podcast by Talent Canada. To hear more of our episodes or to find the latest workplace headlines from across the country, visit talentcanada.ca.